Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Grams. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2309 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing the messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This is the ninth of ten messages in our series covering the characters of Christmas. This message is titled, The Misfits of Christmas. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Today I just want to bring a short message. Last week we looked at the dark side of Christmas characters as we analyzed Herod, that monster of Christmas. And this week we want to look at the misfits of Christmas. And we're going to read just three verses from the genealogy of Jesus taken from the book of Matthew chapter 1. It's on page 1496 of your pew Bibles. Verse number three, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Verse five, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And then verse six, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. I wanted to highlight tonight four characters from Jesus's family tree, four that illustrate the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. Why? Because all of these are women, which is remarkable in and of itself. But Jesus, during his life and his ministry, was focused on those who were downtrodden and who were oppressed, those who he reached out for most. Because we're all equal in the sight of God, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 tells us, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, typically, genealogies from the Jewish nation didn't mention women at all. They only listed the men who were the heads of their households. Women in the ancient world had little agency and virtually no voice. So in telling the Christmas story through the women like Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, Jesus's aunt, and Anna, which we'll look at next week a little bit, Jesus tells us that his kingdom is indeed different. And even the small and seemingly insignificant detail to us, the listing of these four women in Jesus's family line, Matthew was communicating something very, very powerful. It reminds me of that Christmas cartoon, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, where the old trapper and Rudolph come, against, uh, come upon the island of misfit toys. You remember, nobody wants a Charlie in a box. And what was the meaning of the island of misfit toys. It's not unlike the Christmas story. As the story goes on, the menagerie of these misfit toys band together and saves Christmas for the children of the world. The biblical principle of this story is that no matter how atypical you are, you are valuable in God's eyes. And within this church, you are also valuable. In the church worldwide, you should be valuable too. Together we can accomplish what seems to be 
impossible on our own. But to fully grasp these misfits of this passage today, we must understand how poorly women of that first century were regarded. Women had no legal rights and were utterly subject to their husband's power. According to the New Testament scholar Michael Green, a Jewish man thanked God each day that he had not been created a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. To put it bluntly, Matthew would be scandalous to put these women's names in this genealogy of Jesus. But these weren't just any women. Each one of them carried with them a stigma, an asterisk next to their name, that any time a faithful Jewish person heard their name read out loud in a Jewish temple or synagogue, they would just cringe a little bit. The first of these four is the forgotten, Tamar, is a name that most Jewish people would rather just forget about. It's an interesting story, but I'll leave out most of the details tonight on tonight's message. And yet, she's listed in Genesis chapter 38 as the first wife of a man named Ur, one of the two sons of Judah. But Ur was not a good husband, and because of this, God allowed him to be killed. When he died, according to the custom of that day, the next oldest brother, Onan, was to marry Tamar and continue the family line of her, his older brother through her. By the greedy attempt to set himself up with a richer inheritance, he refused to conceive a baby by Tamar. And as a result, God struck Onan dead also. Next was a brother that was much, much younger. So Tamar took things into her own hands. And Judah and Tamar's place in the Jewish family line shows his interesting juxtaposition between somebody who was very powerful and someone who was basically powerless. Judah was a hypocritical leader who covered his sin of exportation with his, his daughter-in-law. Then there was Tamar, helpless and forgotten. Forgotten in, in Jesus's, or fortunately in Jesus's new family though, both the religious hypocrite and that exploited mistress found a need for grace. The next misfit that we have is the sinful. This is Rahab had a similar sordid storyline as what Tamar had, as we read in Joshua chapter 2. When the Jewish spies came out to scout the land of Jericho, she was the one who hid him in her home and protected them from the prying eyes of the government police of Jericho. She had heard about the miracles of God as the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and crossed on dry land through the Red Sea. And she heard about the miracles throughout their wanderings in the wilderness. And unlike the rest of her country, she turned to Yahweh, even though her profession, as Joshua tells us, was certainly less than admirable. Because she proved critical intelligence to help Israel defeat Jericho, she was given safe harbor in Israel and grafted into the Jewish line, that Jewish nation, as we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. And James, a half-brother of Jesus, wrote in his letter that her actions were evidence of her newfound faith in James chapter 2, verse 25. So Rahab's life was evidence that Jesus is always bringing in the outsiders those seen by even religious institutions at times as too damaged by exploitation and sin. And as we gather this Christmas to worship, 
We are tempted sometimes to think of ourselves as more righteous than the Rahabs of the world. But in a sense, every human being is unclean in God's eyes as her profession was. Yet, the good news is, through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us, we are made clean, yes, even whiter than snow. The third misfit was the exploited. And you probably don't need a big introduction to Bathsheba from 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And even if you don't know a lot about the Bible, you might know what happened when King David looked over off his rooftop and saw a beautiful woman. It was the biggest scandal during the reign of King David, Israel's greatest king. And most of us tend to think about this storyline on how it impacted David. It is often used as a sloppy apologetic for our own sins. After all, David sinned, and he was still considered a man after God's own heart. But he was because he repented of those sins and turned to God. And we find grace as we repent from our sins also. God still used David as a leader in spite of his sin. But let's not think about David tonight. Let's think about Bathsheba. The Bible never seems to judge her for her place in David's family life. It was likely that David summoned her from her home, and she had little choice but to comply. The alternative probably would have been execution. If a woman in the ancient world and the king calls you, you don't disobey. The story gets even more complicated when you realize that Bathsheba was the young granddaughter of one of David's closest advisors, Ahithophel as we're told in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3. The magnitude of David's gross sin cannot be overstated here. He exploited Bathsheba. He used his power to get what he wanted from her. And not only did it result in the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, it was also one of the most pivotal events in David's family line, causing the death of one of David's children from Bathsheba. It was a catalyst for an ugly Civil war between a son and his father on years after that. Bathsheba's life was one of difficulty and sorrow. She was likely unpopular and despised among the other women of Israel and maybe even within David's family. She suffered the loss of a son and became the wife of an unfaithful husband. And yet she appears in Matthew's retelling of the Christmas story of Israel and the promise of the Redeemer. She is named by God in his word. Yes, a victim of exploitation. And so it is that God sees and knows all. He sees those of us who might have been exploited or abused during our lives. In Jesus, the forgotten can be found, find a new family and a new identity. And the fourth misfit that we want to look at today is the outsider. Perhaps the most scandalous name in Jesus' genealogy you might not think of is Ruth. Unlike the other three women, she doesn't have a sordid backstory. She isn't a victim of abuse that we know of. And yet, this Jewish person hearing Matthew's account, this appearance of Ruth's name in his genealogy would be very offensive to them. You might ask, why is that? Well, like Rahab, Ruth wasn't Jewish. Not only was Ruth not Jewish, she was a Moabite. And a Moabite are not simply Gentiles. They were Israel's sworn enemies. 
They weren't even allowed to enter a worship gathering when Israel got together. They were idolaters who refused to help Israel as they made their way from Egypt to the Promised Land. Now, she eventually became the wife of Boaz. She was also the great-grandmother of King David. The book of Ruth beautifully tells the story of Boaz as Ruth's kinsman's redeemer, the one with power and resources to rescue and protect the vulnerable. Her appearance here in the opening pages of this Christmas story reminds us that Jesus is the redeemer of those who are outsiders. Who, like the Moabitess Ruth, were once aliens in the courts of the Almighty and are now brought into full participation into God's kingdom. Those are the four misfits that we want to look at today of Christmas. But we also know that your name is in the family of God. And hopefully, after this message, you'll never read that first chapter of Matthew the same again. But more importantly, I hope that you understand that Jesus is more than just a name in the Bible. He is the son of Abraham. He is the son of David. But more than that, he is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. And it's comforting that God names these four misfits, otherwise forgotten people, otherwise outsider women. He names the exploited, the forgotten, the powerless, and the outsiders. Now the world, when you pass on, may forget your name, but you can be named and known by the one whose name is above every name, Jesus Christ. What's more, Jesus can give you a new name. The real meaning of Christmas is that he's done that for us. That God is in the business of taking us in, sinners, you and I, and making us new creations, new identities, and giving us a new purpose, as we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us a wonderful message of reconciliation. So as you reflect on Christmas this year, I pray that you'll understand that there's room for you in the family of God as there was for Rahab and Tamar, for Abraham and Jacob, for Ruth and Bathsheba, and even for those scoundrels, David and Judah. If there's room for them, there's certainly room for you. So don't let anything keep you from embracing that faith, that good news that we're celebrating tonight. Now in your bulletin, I have included an Advent devotional that you can if you have time, the next couple of three days to just review and study it a little bit further. Then next week, our final message of Christmas characters, we're going to reflect on 2023 and look upon 2024 with hope and anticipation. And we're going to focus on two elderly people that had hope and expectation of the coming Messiah. And the message titled, The Oldest Bucket List, Simeon and Anna. 
So if you get a chance this week, read Matthew chapter 2, verses 21 through 38 in preparation for next week's message. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this brief message that even the misfits in society are included in your family. And that includes us, Father. We give you thanks. We give you thanks for all that are participating tonight and everybody that's here, worshiping and fellowshipping with us, Father. May you receive the honor and the glory. Pray this in Jesus' prayer. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's word.